Welcome to Fencing Stories with me, Nicholas Partridge. And me, Jason Brody, a monthly podcast about fencing and the fencing scene. So I thought, Jason, we'd start this podcast by getting to know each other a little bit more. Perfect. How long have you been fencing, Jason? I've been fencing for about six and a half years now, I think, including COVID, just to note. <laughs> Indeed, that was, that was an experience. What drew you into fencing originally? The reason I got into fencing was not to, it wasn't because I wanted to be a fencer or loved fencing. It was completely coincidental that one night my wife and I were watching television. We were watching Britain's Got Talent and there were some really fantastic ballroom dancers there on on the show. And my wife, she wanted to do a hobby. So she said, let's go out and learn to do ballroom dancing. This terrified me because I'm not a dancer at all. So I googled any hobby that we could do together, anything other than ballroom dancing. And just fortunately, Northampton Fencing Club was running a beginner's course and I got us on that pretty quick. So yeah, that's the main reason. Nothing to do with a love for fencing or anything. What about you, Nick? What got you into fencing? So I'd spend a lot of time with my dad when I was younger and some of that time we'd spend watching old films. Um, Errol Flynn would come up quite often and um, there's an iconic scene in The Adventures of Robin Hood that's got Errol Flynn in it. He's fencing Basil Rathbone and it's backlit against a, a curtain wall, a castle curtain wall. It's just an iconic scene and I thought it looked really, really cool. I was you know, in love with the romance of fencing so I thought I'd try and find a fencing club a few years later so I found... Northampton Fencing Club and that's what got me that's what got me started I mean Errol Flynn he has a link to Northampton doesn't he yeah he he does he was um he was treading the boards at the Royal which is the smaller of the two theatres that are in Northampton but again yeah I've I've been away from Northampton for quite a while now I'd just like to add that my very first fencing tournament was the British under 20 foil championships which was held the day before my 20th birthday, so I felt I really had to go. I was going to say, this is not a Northampton-centric podcast. It just happens that we're both linked to the club. Indeed, indeed. So is it the heroic element of fencing that drew you in? I mean, did you want to be a sort of a sword-wielding hero? Uh, I mean, who wouldn't, who wouldn't, frankly? I mean, I'm sure you're the same. <laughs> well, no, mine was fear of ballroom dancing. That's oh, yeah, of course. Not Sorry. quite as heroic. You're, you're running away from something. I'm running towards hero, hero, heroicism. That's a tricky word to say on a podcast. Heroicism. <laughs> well done. So, Nick, who were your biggest inspirations when you started fencing? So, in Northampton Fencing Club, um, years and years ago, there was a guy called Doug Face. Just really polite, kind man who was really interested in fencing interested in developing but wasn't pushy in any way just just like a kind old granddad um he just sort of helped me in lots and lots and lots of ways he was really inspirational for me he's since passed away um but i was friends with him and his and his family who were all into fencing yeah so it would have been doug facer who the Northampton Fencing Club does have a competition named after him for foil. We do, yeah. I've never entered it because it's a foil competition. That's fair enough. <laughs> so did he uh, teach you much about fencing? I mean, who was your first coach? So the, my first coach was also at Northampton. His name was Henry De Silva. He was really old school. I remember him once telling me off for, for not lunging properly from my back leg. 
And one of the, one of his techniques for improving that was bringing his um, foil down very very quickly on your back knee if you didn't extend properly. And so if you extended properly, he wouldn't hit you in the leg. And if you didn't extend properly, then he would hit you in the leg. I did get hit <laughs> on the leg, but only once. And has that worked? Is your back leg still doing the right thing now? My, my back leg still is doing the right thing. Uh, however, I wouldn't recommend that as a coaching technique going forward. Not in 2022? Certainly not. Maybe in 1922, which I believe could well have been when Henry that's started when coaching. Started fencing. I was going to say, that's when you started fencing, but... Uh, not quite, not quite that old. So, um, who inspired you, Jason? Well, I say, I didn't know anything about fencing, so there was a few people at the club who were similar to you, you know, they sort of introduced you to the sport and they were brilliant, but I did a kind of a Google search on left-handed fences. I thought I may be kind of unusual in fencing, being left-handed. Oh, no, no, no. I've since learned that was not true at all. But uh, the guy who came up was Ruben Limbardo, who I believe is Venezuelan. Um, and he was sort of one of the Olympic fencers at the time he was doing well. I think he still is doing quite well. Was he the, and, uh, the, was he the Olympic champion in 2012? Yeah, that's right. Won the London Olympic Games. Guess what, I Jason? Also... I was there. <laughs> you were there. You met him. I didn't, no, I didn't meet him. Um, but I was I was there and I, I was front row. I, I got to see that. I got to see that match. It was amazing, amazing. Ah oh, man, I, I saw it on uh, YouTube. <laughs> Not quite the same, but, but you know that that was the only real. So that was probably my introduction to top level fencing was just googling him, checking out the videos, and I think it, his style wore off on me a bit. He, at the time, he was quite a defensive fencer, I think, and um, not that I probably knew. The other thing I got is he was relatively old. <laughs> Actually, he's two years older than me. But, you know, he's still competing now in the Olympic Games. I think he did Rio and Tokyo. Uh, and that was something that I kind of took some heart because I didn't get into fencing until I was about 27, which I think is quite old for a competitive sport. So it was nice to see somebody who is also relatively old competing at that level so I found that quite inspirational as well as you know being handicapped with the left-handed I think in 2012 the world number one was 39 as well so the fact that FA yeah. is an older weapon suited me too so um was was he instrumental in the choices you made with regard to weapons I think it was a large part of it seeing somebody who was left-handed fencing FA yeah I wanted to copy that what got you into Epe over foil because you said you did foil in your first competition like everybody in the UK started with foil um, <laughs> and again found myself being disheartened by the fact that the refereeing didn't always make sense to me oh, um, really? I'm dyslexic so maybe that's a factor um, I got moved into doing sabre so I did Sabre for a few years as well, but I found myself, yeah, yeah, for, for a good few years, I was really passionate about it. So I found myself doing Sabre for a little while, um, but I found I was a reasonably good kind of club sabre, but I went to competitions and again, maybe I wasn't being coached very well. Maybe the, you know there weren't co decent coaches around me. Maybe that's a little bit unfair, but it just didn't make a great deal of sense. So I started doing Epe and I'd been doing Epe at the same time as doing Sabre. And um, just, I find the simplicity of, of Epe just 
just makes makes a lot of sense. I know the rules really well as well, so that that helps. Uh, I'm interested to know because I did foil for the eight week beginner course and then dropped it very quickly. Do you think there's more of a benefit from doing all three weapons, or should you just focus on the one straight that you want to do straight off the bat? There's, of course, there's benefits. There's there's benefits to kind of there's there's epee hits that you can develop from saber moves, and there's obviously epee hits you can develop from from foil. However, I'd say if you've decided, then you've decided, and you should specialise. I wouldn't. I would work on being the best you can be, and if you feel that you can, the best you can be is by doing and specialising in one weapon. That's what I. That's what I would say would be right. That's certainly what's right for me. So Nick, this podcast is called Fencing Stories, where we want to learn about fencing and the people in it through their stories. What's your story with fencing? It was two thousand and six. I was in Bulgaria, and we were on holiday my wife and I, and we're watching the television in the hotel room, and London gets the Olympics for 2012. Amazing, absolutely stunning, so excited. At that moment in Bulgaria, I still remember it. Beautiful sunny day, but anyway, enough about that. <laughs> so I'm determined I'm gonna be involved. I, I decide I'm gonna be a volunteer. If I can't, if I can't fence, which, frankly, I was going to say, I thought I can't. I can't fence. I thought this was going to be a story about you training to be an Olympic fencer. Well, let's 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 go past that part, and we'll move on to the volunteering element. Okay. So, I volunteer for the for the Olympics. I I'm desperate to be involved in the fencing. I'm selected. I'm trained up, and I'm already doing epe at this point, And it's the morning of men's epe, and I'm so excited. I could pop. I've, I've, I'm the first one in there. I'm in there really early. I've taken a picture of the venue. The venue looks stunning. There were four lit up pieces that were all different colours. I'm leading out people as the procession leader, which is, I think, probably the most exciting role. I, I was the first person out of the curtain. I'm just so excited. It's ridiculous. <laughs> and later on, the event that you spoke about and we spoke about earlier on with um, Vincent Limbardo, um, there's a draw for tickets and if you applied as a volunteer you, you because we weren't using the whole hall you could get a front row ticket to the event so basically where the coaches sat during the daytime they set that up as a as an area to watch for the volunteers in the evening for the evening session so i'm there for the evening session i watch the um i watch the semi-finals and then i'm there for the final the most amazing event vincent once he won once he won his gold He's, he's on his way home and the, the where, where was he from again? Uh, Venezuela. That's what Wikipedia is telling me. Yeah, Venezuela. So the Venezuelan team haven't paid for any fancy cars or anything. So he's going home on the tube with his gold medal and there's <laughs> thousands of people who've, who are there, maybe 3,000 people <laughs> who are there for the fencing and they're also going home on the tube. And there's pictures on social media the next day, all over Facebook, of him celebrating his win with members of the fencing community that I recognise on on the tube. It was amazing. <laughs> it was such a good event. That's a good story, I think. I don't think you can really get much bigger than the Olympics. Um, Thank and you. And watching a gold medal, medal match. So I'm ready. To, I'm ready to be let down, Jason. Um, tell me a story about you and fencing. Well. Uh, I've only been fencing for five years. I don't have any 
really heroic stories about fencing other than the kind of the individual competitions that I've done I can't think of anything that really stands out but I think that's one of the great things about fencing is that every competition is a story and I think every fencer has got their stories to do with losing terribly in fact my last competition I did there's a pretty awful story of me losing 15-3 to Harry Baston Hall um, did you did you learn anything from that? Yeah, I'm I'm way too old to be competing. No, um, did I learn? <laughs> it, it, to be honest, it was one of those fights where I just know there was a, a big gap between me and the other fencer, and um, I need to work on a lot of things to kind of start to bridge that gap. But there's also plenty of stories about you know when you win fifteen fourteen or those sorts of competitions. So other than those, no, I don't have a major story that can top the Olympics. So Jason, I just want to ask you a little bit about injuries in the past and what you've done to help recovery. I'm pretty lucky. I haven't had any serious injuries. Um, I work outdoors. I work in sort of forestry and that sort of stuff. So my job's quite physical. And actually fencing has probably been more beneficial to my health than anything being more active with the fencing has helped me stay I think injury free you know it helped out my back a lot just from the extra movement but it's been quite intensive on my, on my knees I think fencing's not too great for that so I have had a bit of trouble with various knee injuries over the last couple of years the main thing I found for that has just been preventative exercise so I don't know if you do you know knees over toes on Instagram YouTube this is new to me the knees over toes guy wow okay i'll send you a link uh ben patrick he's got some really great exercises about strengthening your knees in all the useful positions and i think you know fencing's a really you're constantly putting your knees over your toes and into awkward positions when you're moving backwards and forwards so through fencing trying to be more competitive i've kind of been better at researching exercises stretches and that sort of stuff just to help avoid getting injuries so it's changed my mindset as you probably gathered i was not a sportsman at all before fencing so it's all been quite a a steep learning curve for me so yeah you know luckily touchwood at the minute no major injuries what about you nick have you had anything particularly bad i had a, a grade two calf tear which was very deep in, in the muscle um, right was, behind was that was that the one that happened I, at I the Northampton yeah I remember that you screaming I collapsed and started swearing I thought someone behind me had come up with an epee and smashed me on the epee I felt like I'd been shot it was hor- horrific um, I think that cost me a hit at that competition because I stopped to look <laughs> well good for you well done <laughs> pay attention to what you're doing not, not to other fences and Such a girly scream. <laughs> Thank you. Talking of screaming, we'll talk more about that later. So, um, but I went to see a physio. Um, I iced it, rested it, elevated it, and did whatever I could. Um, yeah, just I was then kind of prescribed some exercises, which I made sure that I did because I wanted to get back to fencing as soon as possible. And actually, six weeks later, it was probably six weeks to recovery, but six weeks later, I, I did a, a 10K run. Which I was surprised at. Six weeks, that's that's quite yeah, that's quite a good recovery time. It wasn't fast. I couldn't put a lot of power through it, but I thought I'd give it a go. 
so luckily it held up and and from then I've kind of gone into more and more into sort of strength and looking after it so kind of that was one of the things that inspired me to make sure that I was looking after myself better so I've since yeah. found a couple of strength and conditioning guys that I've done some work with one's got a guy called Yanni Harding from a group called Logical Lifters um, we're going to be talking to him and the podcast at some point and then there's a guy I've got more locally who's put me on some uh, various different regimes to do with strengthening my legs um, and also with regard to what's called the uh, posterior strength posterior chain so strengthening the posterior chain yeah yeah um, what exercises do you do for that kettlebell swings um kettlebell oh, squats brilliant. so you've got the kettlebell kettlebell held out in front of you and you're squatting body weight squats with the kettlebell but the, yeah it, it challenges the core because the kettlebell's out in front of you um he's prescribed me skipping so i've started skipping i think i've seen skipping being used a lot more by people regarding warming up recently yeah definitely yeah there's less room in halls than ever now because everybody is skipping absolutely i've seen that quite a lot so i think that skipping is a very good warm-up i mean it does a lot for the for the cardio system um and actually i did some work with yanni there's a video out there of me doing a suggested warm-up pre-competition that takes 10 minutes but does all of the major muscle groups and actually warms up your, your heart you get your heart rate going as well Ah, that sounds interesting is there anywhere we can find the video yeah that's on youtube and i'll post a link in the show notes so how about yourself jason is there anybody that you'd like to mention that you feel is notable in the in the region of fencing well personally for me and probably many people at northampton i can't talk about fencing without talking about paul wilmot uh the paul wilmot he yeah he's i mean every competition i go to people will you know they'll see me talking to Paul and they just assume that you know I'm in the club and they become my friends instantly or enemies depending on how they relate to Paul but generally they're pretty friendly he's just such a well-known figure in fencing but what really inspires me about Paul is just his attitude towards fencing which is constantly giving a hundred percent every club night he is a hundred percent trying to beat you whether you were a world number one or it's your first ever time picking up an epee or any weapon, he will be trying to beat you with 100%. And I've seen it in competitions too. He never gives up and he, he just puts his all in it. He does raise his game at competitions. I noticed that he oh yeah he, he will get a result where I'm thinking that's, that's not going to happen and he gets the results. The competition pool is terrifying, you know. He's got a way of just kind of pulling himself up and he, he digs deep. I've seen him get some brilliant results. In fact, recently his fencing has gone through the roof and he's kind of getting even better results, which is great to see. But the, uh, I think that's probably enough about Paul Wilmot. <laughs> Fair enough. What about you, Nick? Have you got anyone who you'd like to talk about? And there's plenty of people that inspire me fencing. Um, organisationally, I've got a lot of time for Ev. Yep, yep. Van Hemmeren in uh, East Midlands does an awful lot. Um, there's people who organise veterans competitions and things that I'm... coaches are are wonderful but competitions when I see someone who's behaving impeccably so perhaps there's a call that they don't quite agree with the referee and the way they deal with it is they just have a quiet chat with the referee about how they're feeling or how they feel the call should have gone or it's just a look and it's just the way to behave I feel so there's no screaming there's no shouting it's just dealt with dealt with well and if the if it goes the call goes their way they accept it if it goes against them they accept it and they'll salute they'll shake hands or 
pump fists or whatever it is you do these days and accept the result i just feel that that's the way to behave and that's what I, that, that inspires me uh, yeah that's really great it's interesting fencing is definitely a sport that is built on a set of conducts uh, and an attitude of how you relate to the people around you in the sport don't you think absolutely absolutely and I'd, I'd like to think i i try and i try and hold those behaviors and, and and model those behaviors um sometimes i do definitely sometimes i don't <laughs> I, I think that's something that's always really good i mean whenever i've been beaten by somebody who's a fantastic fencer they're always happy to give you good constructive criticism you don't get many egos in fencing you don't think well they're they're good at putting them to one side while they tell you how they beat you in a nice way yeah i guess that's a a very good way of putting it well jason it's been really nice to get to know you a bit more yeah definitely i mean that's what fencing's all about so one last thing have you got any tips for anybody who's new to fencing or somebody who you know you might be able to give a really useful little thing just something small things that have worked for me one is be happy to lose the more you lose the more you learn and the other tip is just pick one thing to improve on don't try and do it all that's very good my tip would be on your jacket you know those things that you get on key rings you know the the loopy the loopy things so instead of plugging yourself on your jacket directly onto your d-clip which is plastic invest in maybe a carabiner and then put a little one of those key ring rounds on the end and clip it onto there that way if the spool catches and doesn't expand instead of it ripping your jacket off or ripping your jacket to pieces or destroying that d-ring and then you've got to buy a new jacket potentially all it does is pull off that that little <laughs> key ring clip and you've saved yourself the cost of repairing that d-clip on your jacket the, the, the cost of thread <laughs> the cost of literally more than thread because it could rip that yeah. d-clip to pieces yeah, but think of the time you're saving. You know, the hardest bit about fencing when you start is learning how to plug in in a competition in front of everybody watching you. That is the other thing. I used to find that so hard. But having the extra little bit of length allows me to clip onto that and it's no bother. <laughs> Brilliant. I love the practicality of it. Thank you. As a bit of a results roundup. Is there anything you've noticed? Any outstanding performances out there? Yeah, so as I said before, I was at the Coxmoor Woods FA Championships last weekend. Some brilliant fencing, as always. Some interesting results. Um, I'd like to mention Oliver Massey getting the bronze medal. You know Oliver, don't you, Nick? Yeah, I do. He's, um, I think he's out of Wales. Yeah, so I think uh, there was a, some great fencing from him, as well as Max Titmus, who's been working really hard. He got a bronze medal, despite losing some terrible pool results. He bought it back, had a great run to that bronze medal. Uh, Hal Jones got the gold medal with Hugo Smith and then in the women's Stella Lancey was the gold medal and Christine Steiner getting silver which is a great result That's for her. A good result, yeah. Brilliant fencing. So thanks very much Jason and thanks everybody for listening to Fencing Stories, a monthly podcast. Hopefully see you again. So thanks very much Jason. No problem Nick, looking forward to doing it again. Have we got any guests coming up soon? Yeah, I've got a couple of interviews, which hopefully will be fantastic. Um, hoping to have a future regular feature with my friend Yanni, who will give us some strength and conditioning to look at. Brilliant. Apart from that, we'll sort of see how this grows. Looking forward to it. So here, as promised, are the fencing notes. 
the fencing warm-up video by Nicholas Partridge. You can see that on YouTube. If you search for fencing warm-up Nicholas Partridge, you'll be able to find it. And the knees over toes guy is available on YouTube as well. You just search the space knees over toes guy, and that's one word, both on YouTube. And we also need to apologise to Ruben Limado. I think we both made mistakes with his name. I certainly called him Vincent, and I think Jason called him Limbardo. And also Logical Lifters, who are available on Instagram. Search for Logical Lifters. <laughs>